Red, a podcast that's all about Colorado true crime. I'm Laura, and I have an historical murders episode for you guys today. Today's case is an over 100-year-old unsolved potential serial killing based on out of Colorado Springs in terms of Colorado because this goes all over the United States. I'll be using an article from the Denver Post, an article from Walsenburg World out of Colorado Historic Newspapers Collection, Smithsonian Magazine, and a site called Genealogy Trails. This story actually came back into light fairly recently because a Colorado Springs investigator named Dwight Havercorn is pretty convinced that all these murders in Colorado Springs and up to 30 murders in four other towns, including Portland, Oregon, Rainier, Washington, Monmouth, Illinois, and Ellsworth, Kansas, are all the same killer. And he's not the only person who thinks this. This has been a theory for a long time from a lot of different people. Six of these murders occurred in Colorado Springs in 1911. And it centered on two different homes, um, those of the Burnham and Wayne families, who were both located within basically yards from each other. And they were located near I-25, and these two homes have since been demolished. The killer had his, or her maybe, but probably his, own unique calling card. He would strike the victims to death with the blunt end of an axe that he found in the family's home or yard, and he would do so while they slept, and then he would neatly make their beds over top of them, pulling the covers over their mutilated bodies or piling laundry on top of their bodies. What's more disturbing is that the killer would return to the victims afterwards once everybody in the household was dead, and he would beat their heads in 30 to 40 times until their heads were basically just mush. He would then go through the house and hang ripped up clothing or pieces of clothing or cloth all over all of the mirrors and pieces of glass in the home. And then he would wash his hands in a bowl of water that he retrieved for himself and then leave the murder weapon behind in the home, sometimes going back out through a window or leaving through the doors and locking them behind him as he left. Several other similarities occurred across some houses, but not others like lamps being lit or candles being lit. And when he lit the lamps, he would do so with this really specific way in which he would bend the wick down in this really strange manner that not a lot of people had seen before. Um, And the clothing being piled on top of their heads in particular was only um, a handful of scenes out of this whole thing. Otherwise, he would just sort of pull the covers up over their heads or pull their own bed clothing up over their heads. The murders of the Burnham and Wayne families, which both happened on the same night in September of 1911, are still considered some of the worst murders in Colorado Springs history. Um, Henry F. Wayne, aged 30 years, his wife Blanche McGinnis Wayne, aged 26, and their baby daughter Blanche, two years old, were killed at 743 Harrison Place. Mrs. Alice May Burnham, 25 years old, wife of Arthur J. Burnham, a yardman at the Modern Woodman Sanatorium, and her two children, Alice, six years, and John, three years old, of 321 West Dale Street in Colorado Springs. Again, these two houses were only steps from each other. 
The body of the Burnhams was discovered by Mrs. Burnham's sister and a friend who entered the home the next morning. Curious as to why they hadn't seen any movement yet in the house, um, they were greeted with a really horrific scene in a completely still home with the previous night's dinner dishes still not washed, which was unusual for Mrs. Burnham. They went upstairs to see a bed that appeared to be piled with laundry, and then they saw the body of the young daughter sprawled on top of her mother with her head bashed in, and both of these women went screaming from the home at this point. Police neighbors and police neighbors and the coroner arrived later at the house, and police determined, as was the case in all of the murders across the country, that robbery was not a motive in any of these crimes, and jewelry and watches were not missing from the home. They were left on hands. They were left on tables. They decided that the killer entered through an unlocked window in both homes in Colorado Springs. And in both of these homes, he lit a candle, but presumably obscured the light from it so that it wouldn't disturb his sleeping victims. And he also drew all of the blinds in the house, which is one of the things that sort of drew suspicion from the two women who decided to check on the Burnhams that morning. At the Burnham family home, he had knocked over a bottle of ink while he came through the window and his hand then went into the ink and he actually left a handprint on the handle of the axe that was found and used. And fingerprinting as a means of identification of people was first introduced as a possibility in the 1860s, but it took a really long time for it to become an accepted science and even longer for it to become accepted as a official forensic investigatorial tool. And coincidentally, in 1911, the year that the Colorado Springs axe murders occurred and the year that many similar murders occurred across the United States, this was the year that fingerprints were first accepted by U.S. courts as a reliable means of identification. But it really didn't necessarily mean that all police officers or investigators were trained to collect them from crime scenes. It also did not mean that every criminal was familiar with the science or knew that it really existed, meaning leaving behind obvious handprints on the murder weapon wasn't really something that the murderer thought twice about. So Alice Burnham, the six-year-old daughter of the Burnhams, was said to have been awakened and was in the process of trying to get to her already dead mother in bed due to her body being positioned on top of her mother. A.J. Burnham, the husband of Mrs. Burnham, actually escaped death in this, and he was held for the murders, and he appeared really unmoved at the death of his wife and children. And this started suspicion and argument over his potential involvement that went on for some time in Colorado Springs. His really total lack of any emotion was a huge point of contention around the town at that time, and a lot of articles came out about it. And really two camps formed, as seems to be the case in any suspicion over a murderer. One that defended him and one that believed he was guilty. A.J. Burnham was eventually cleared of involvement because he was working 12 miles away at the time at the sanatorium. And the watchman for this place was pretty sure that he would have seen him leave. And he also had really no motive to kill the Wayne family at all, and really no motive to kill his own family because nothing was really collected from their deaths. The home of the Waynes was entered similarly through a window, and the bodies were also covered with laundry and clothing. 
The Wayne family was not discovered dead until a full day after the Burnhams were discovered due to a young boy trying to deliver a letter for a second time. And for a second time, he received no response at the door and he became suspicious. So moving ahead nearly a century later, late in the 1990s, Detective Dwight Havercorn relaunched interest in this case of a serial killer who stalked the United States, killing families with an axe found nearby. Havercorn has located old Pinkerton agency records relating to the two cases in Colorado Springs, as well as some cases in other cities he suspects are the same killer in the hopes that the records may contain fingerprint copies taken at the scenes that could all be compared. And like I said before, fingerprints were a relatively new science for forensic investigators. So whether or not they were taken or kept for this long is really a long shot. And Havercorn isn't the first person to connect these murders or suspect that a serial killer was on the loose in 1911. Teams from graduate schools and even an amateur filmmaking team have all looked at this bizarre series of axe murders with the idea that they're connected. For instance, one of the many similarities about all of these murders is that the house that the victims were left in was only yards from railroad tracks. Um, railroad was the method of transportation around the country in 1911, so it's thought that this could be a transient person traveling by rail because a lot of these murders happened within months to weeks of each other in different states, so it's assumed that this person was traveling by rail. Another point was that handprints, either in blood or anything else from the victim, was noted to be at a lot of the scenes and on the murder weapon itself. In Colorado Springs, no records of these handprints or fingerprints made by ink or otherwise were ever put into the police records for these murders, unfortunately. Investigator Havercorn has indicated that in 1911, most police agencies were still relying on something called the Bertillon system. And this was a system that used basic physical measurements as some kind of means of comparison to suspects. So instead of taking a copy of the ink print on the axe for fingerprint comparison, they would normally just take measurements of the length and width of the fingers and the hand and the print to compare to any potential suspects later, but they wouldn't really get an image or a copy of it from the handle of the axe or anywhere else. So back then, the Colorado Springs Police Department actually hired two detective agencies that were big around the time to help with this investigation, and that was the Pinkerton and the Burns agencies. And both agencies have since been purchased by Securitas, which is a Swedish company, and a lot of their records were actually given to the Library of Congress in 1999, and they're still accessible. So since this murder spree in the States and all over the country, many newspapers have run articles about arrests and theories related to the murders in these various states. And here they are. In 1914, the Weekly Courier out of Chicago ran an article stating that the axe murders that occurred in Villisca, Iowa had a clear bloody handprint on the handle of the axe used and that this handprint was photographed and sent all over the United States. The chief of police in the area states in the article that he believes the perpetrator is a man named Velasco and Chevy, who he describes as an insane Bulgarian. 
but it isn't really explicitly stated that his handprint matched that that was found on the murder weapon. The statement from the chief goes on to say that this insane Bulgarian has confessed to all of the crimes across the United States, including those committed in Colorado Springs, and that he is traveling around the country and killing whole families. The chief states confidently, and I'm going to quote this here because it's pretty ridiculous, quote, it will be found that all of the axe murders have been committed just after the moon changes from its last quarter and the alienists say that congenital lunatics are most affected at that time. The homicides have all been committed on a Sunday night, showing that the crimes followed religious excitement. End of quote. And I mean, he has a point. You go to church, you go to brunch, and you go and kill a family with an axe. It's just the natural progression of Sunday fun day, I guess. But I'm guessing that this insane Bulgarian was not found to be responsible because in 1915, another man um, was arrested and held for these crimes. And this was reported in the Walsenburg World newspaper. And it explicitly describes this man as being black, though they didn't use that word. And he was arrested in Illinois for what it describes as upwards of 30 axe murders spanning many states, also adding on Iowa and Missouri to this list. This small article states that the man's name was Loving Mitchell and that he laughed at his arrest, saying that he would be cleared immediately. And I'm guessing that he was cleared because nothing else came out about this guy at all. So... These Iowa murders saw numerous suspects come across the table who are believed to be in all of the murders across the country, including those in Colorado. And some of the more interesting suspects include a man named Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly, who was an English immigrant, preacher, and known sexual deviant with mental problems. He also looks shockingly like Albert Fish. He was in the town the night of the murders in Iowa, and told investigators that he left by train at dawn before the bodies were discovered. Kelly was caught peeping into windows in the town the two days prior, and it was discovered that in Nebraska he actually placed an ad in a newspaper for a girl stenographer to do confidential work for him, and when the woman responded, he sent a letter to her described as obscene, lewd, and filthy, and that it stated the requirement was that the woman do all of her typing in the nude. Kelly was also left-handed, and it was believed by the coroner that the killer in Iowa was left-handed because the blood spatter went in the left direction based on where the killer was standing. But Kelly was also only 5 feet 2 inches tall and 119 pounds, and many believed that he couldn't possibly be responsible for these murders. Eventually, a grand jury failed to indict him based on a lack of any evidence. A local senator in Iowa was also called into question who supposedly hated the, the Moore family that was killed, and a family member of the Moore family named Henry Lee Moore um, was also brought in, but no one could really place these men in Colorado for the murders that occurred here. And in Iowa, it's what is called the Velisca Murder House, where the Moore family was killed, and it still stands to this day, and this mystery still surrounds it. One particular point of curiosity with this serial killer is um, at the murder in October of 1911 in Ellsworth, Kansas, 
The killer not only covered the victim's faces and all mirrors and glass in the home, but he also covered a telephone that was old timey and it was one that hung on the wall and was like a big box and it had two bells at the top like eyes and a mouthpiece that was spoken into that looked like this big long nose. And one researcher of these cases speculates that the killer sort of feared faces staring at him while he did this. He didn't want to see his own face in any reflection. He didn't want to see the faces of his victims, which is why he mutilated them or covered them. And he didn't want to see one that looked like the head of a human looking at him in the telephone because he thought that they were all conscious of his presence. So those are the unsolved axe murders of 1911. And these are all incredibly similar cases all around the same time. And it would be shocking to me to hear that they weren't connected at all due to their very bizarre similarities. It's pretty obvious that they are connected. So there was a serial killer likely traveling by train who hated faces and reflections and who enjoyed sneaking into homes and killing entire families with an axe. In terms of the proximity to trains, you could argue that most houses in most towns back then were near train tracks because most towns were built around train travel and near train depots and such. But these homes were literally yards from the tracks. The the killer would literally sneak into the first house that he could see when he walked from the train that he was likely traveling on. So... Again, those are the unsolved axe serial murders by the man who hated faces or the face-off killer, the train-hopping maniac, whatever. Send me your ideas if you think of a snappier name for this guy. Um, I'm going to have a surprisingly large number of images up, um, not just from Colorado, on my Instagram for this. They're very small. They're very grainy. So we'll see what I can get up there and actually see. Um, I also have a Patreon for the new listeners. If you would like a sticker and a handmade card from me, all you need to do is donate $1 per month to my Patreon and I'll get that sent out to you guys. So until next time, I'm going to have a new end of the month episode for you guys and it's going to be pretty interesting. So until then. Mm -hmm.